For FingerLakes1.com, I'm Josh Durso, and today, part one of our conversation with Brad Walworth from CARS, or Cuga Addiction Recovery Services. That agency provides valuable services to folks who deal with substance use disorders in the Tompkins County area. Conversations about addiction are more important than ever mostly because the pandemic has fueled the long-lasting concerns people have about addiction and what that might look like moving forward. Today, we focus on the services being provided by CARS and the impact they're having in the community. I am the communications manager for Cayuga Addiction Recovery Services. Um, most people know us as CARS in Tompkins County. We've got an outpatient center in downtown Ithaca. We also have an opioid treatment program in that outpatient center, two entirely different programs. And then we have a men's residential center in Trumansburg, which is about 12, 13 miles from our outpatient program. And we are under New York State OASIS regulations, Office of Alcohol and Substance Abuse Supports. And um, because of that, we're regulated, of course, by Oasis, and we, all of our programs, technically, we have three different programs. The outpatient program, which works with people with substance use disorders, um, the opioid treatment program, which is geared specifically toward opioids with a few different kinds of um, treatment modalities, and uh, with the men's residential program, which is a long-term um, SUD program for men, might be ranging in time from maybe a, a few months there to six months it really is based on individual need for services. So uh, what were some of the trend lines that the, the organization was seeing before, say, February of, of 2020? Well, before the pandemic, we would have people coming into the program. Um, we had just started our opioid treatment program in January. So that was just off the ground. We were capped at 50 people by New York State Oasis, um, basically to get the program going, make sure everything was running smoothly. So before the pandemic started with our opioid treatment program, we were just kind of getting going with that, just adding clients, um, people coming in, going through and kind of an interview assessment process, working with nursing, um, very much in-person services. With our outpatient program, again, it was very much in-person services. People had been coming to the program for various lengths of time. New people coming into the program, getting assessments on site for services, seeing if they needed an outpatient level of care, perhaps a different level of care, we could refer them to other agencies as needed. But everything was very much in person. In fact, before the pandemic, we didn't have any kind of telehealth services. And uh, those weren't even an option for us. Mm. With, when the pandemic hit, um, obviously, it was kind of a case of how long can we keep these services going as is. Um, telehealth became an option. Um, obviously, we were needing to acquire different kinds of um, equipment to be able to provide telehealth services. We got some grants. We got some donations from different local organizations and providers and, and individuals, which were very helpful, and um, so that we were able to get our telehealth services off the ground. As the pandemic kind of advanced, most of our services went more over to telehealth. For example, we began doing assessments entirely by phone or by, by Zoom. Um, and at different times through this, we've gone to more telehealth or maybe more in person. It's kind of been off and on, depending on how trends are going, what we have to do based on Department of Health standards, what we have to do based on OASIS standards. Um, currently, we're doing a little bit in person through our outpatient services. It's primarily still telehealth, though. With the opioid treatment program, 
program, it's a little different because people come in to receive their medication doses on site. For example, we have methadone as medication-assisted treatment, mm-hmm. and we have Suboxone, but primarily the opioid treatment program is methadone. So people need to come on site to get methadone, you know, administered to be that kind of program. So, you know, we're able to give more take-home methadone doses because of the pandemic, um, because of people, some people being in the program longer, were they able to reduce their on-site time? But we still have people coming in for methadone for the opioid treatment program. Our residential program is running as normal, um, as normal as can be, but we don't have the um, we don't have the volunteer services we usually have. For example, with a residential program, we'll typically have people coming in to offer yoga to our residents, or to offer um, AA services, or to offer for different spiritual services. Um, we haven't been able to have volunteers coming in because we're trying to reduce the number of people on site as much as possible. Um, you know, we have had a couple of COVID positive cases at our residence. We're prepared for that. We have quarantine beds. When we have a COVID positive, we restrict admissions um, per Department of Health regulations, per OASIS regulations to keep compliant with those and to keep everyone healthy. Um, fortunately, we've been, overall, we've been very healthy at our residential program because of the focus on sanitizing, the focus on hand washing, social distancing, mask wearing. Um, we really have to keep up with that, but it's um, it's very important to keep people healthy and to keep them receiving those services they need. What, uh, what was that like, getting a getting a, what I would imagine is a pretty robust program up and off the ground uh, at the start of and in the early days of a pandemic, especially one that's lasted as long as this has? Obviously, we're not at the finish line yet, but it looks like the finish line is at least in sight now. Well, the biggest uh, the biggest part of that is our nursing staff, and we have a nursing staff at our outpatient program through opioid treatment services, and we also have, of course, an on-site nursing staff at our residential program. And the biggest thing is for our nursing staff, our nurse practitioner, our medical director that's over our, our whole program to stay up to date as possible, and just the changing regulations, the changing, um, you know, as this pandemic was developing, the, the knowledge was continuously changing. So so our medical staff especially had to keep up to date, had to keep, you know, up to the moment with, you know, the changes in what was being learned about the virus, the changes in what we were needing to do to keep people healthy and safe. And um, so a big part of it was our nursing staff keeping up to date on all the information. But another part was, of course, staff flexibility. Um, and the staff here has been incredible in terms of being flexible and in terms of going above and beyond and um, really doing what needs to be done to deliver services, to keep people healthy healthy. And, you know, another component with a residential program was the fact that we had, you know, a fair number of volunteers coming in and offering their services. And when we discontinued those, we still needed to be providing those kinds of services that our residents really benefited from. So our nursing department, for example, at our residents came up with a whole health and wellness program that they hadn't been doing before. And they were able to offer things like trauma-informed yoga. They were able to provide versions of group fitness, of course, with distance and keeping all those things in mind to keep people healthy and virus-free with that as well. So it's just a case of a lot of it was a case of the staff really taking on additional roles and doing the things they need to do. But in this kind of environment, really, you're working with people. You're, you're, you have staff that are very committed to doing what needs to be done to help people out with addiction. And it's really been a case of people rising above to, to meet the need, which has been incredible. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes of our FL1 Daily podcast by visiting www.fingerlakes1.com daily. 
Have a question for the show? We are here to answer them. Send those to news at fingerlikes1.com. And if you enjoy the show, consider becoming a supporter of fingerlikes1.com over on Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com fl1 to learn more.